0: Should I should I close that door? Is it too noisy, or is it feel okay, or is it getting too cool? If any if anybody wants to shut or anything, feel free. You know. Uh, we're in First uh, Peter, chapter two. Free to thank you guys for all the time remembering those outlines. I'd probably just set them there and they'd always go to waste. <laughs> Never remember that. But uh, we're uh, after we've been in verse nine and ten for. Uh, Quite a few weeks, uh, glorious privileges of, of the Christian. Matter of fact, all of First Peter chapter one and two seems like dealing with privileges that we have. But just in those just in those two verses, you have a Christian who is chosen. He's a royal priest. He's holy. He's owned by God. He's granted mercy by God. He's uh, he's part of the people of God. And at the same time, we know that we're citizens of heaven. And then we live here on this sin-infested, hostile world, and we're here to glorify God. And by uh, by that, we see that because of that, we are to live inwardly pure lives, and outwardly our behavior is to be excellent. And that's what verses 11 and 12 are dealing with. But the issue is all about the glory of God again, because in verse 12, even when he's telling them, that the um, behavior is to be excellent among us, among those Gentiles, says that they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. So even in that, just in that little section of two verses, we get attention that is for God. All human behavior, uh, behavior really is meant by um, God to get attention to God to bring glory to Him all of our behavior that we have here so we're to be quite the uh, I guess you could say positive significant um, uh, significance uh, should be making an impact on a lost world uh, the Gentiles pagans as he uses here And and then when you tie it together with the glory of God from the time we get up in the morning and everything that we do all the way to the time that we go to bed at night should point to the very glory of God And uh, so, we are to be giving that positive, uh, significant influence on people. Now, the problem is is that the enemy does not want us to give glory to God. Everything but that is what uh, his desire is, whether it be the world, uh, the devil, of course the flesh. And what Peter is bringing forth here is that we're in a fierce warfare, and this war is attacking our very souls. And this hostile world wants to suck us into it as uh, we live here. And, of course, what, what's going to happen is that uh, all we're going to do is just be an echo of, I guess you could say, um, how the culture is today that neglects God. And so we, you know, the church can look like the world and not be bringing glory to God, not being the aliens and strangers, not looking like them as uh, they kind of blend in and conform to be citizens of, uh, of this world and, and ignore God. So we need to be focused on Him that we would be so different from the world that there will be people that will be attracted uh, to our great God because of Him living in us. I think that's probably the most basic missing issue of uh, this world is the absence of the very what supremacy and uh, centrality of God. That is the most missing element in where we live. And what is needed so desperately is what Peter has been talking about in this, this gospel. And God is to be everything. And so you look at verse 9 and 10 you take seriously all the different things that has happened to us look at our position there we we are a chosen race we are a royal priesthood we are a holy nation we are god's own possession we are his people and we are here to proclaim those excellencies and so really a christian witness is not only what we say but what what we do and how, how we live that. So that's what Peter is uh, putting forth here. Uh, people that are uh, non-believers, they can read us a great deal more than they're ever going to read the Bible. So in fact, they see us. They only hear about Jesus, but they see us. They see our actions, our behavior. So that's where um, we move into verse 11. We'll read that, beloved, like that. Great way to start, isn't it? I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evil doers. They may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Hi, beloved. Hi, aliens. <laughs> strangers who have been called chosen and kings and holy and owned by God. And now he says aliens and strangers. That's not anything different than he's said before, he's used that. And now you have to go back in the context. The group to whom Peter is writing to are people in a very stressful situation. And we know that persecution is going on. They're scattered, scattered aliens everywhere. they are Christians that are throughout all the hostile pagan nations. Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Uh, not only were they scattered, but they're persecuted. If you look in uh, 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. Don't be surprised about this because this is for your testing. Verse 13 says they were sharing the sufferings of Christ. Verse 19 says they were suffering according to the will of God. So they're suffering persecution. They're scattered. They're dispossessed. You have a hostile society that is uh, trying to make them conform to them. They have to have a lot of motivation to carry on this life as a Christian in uh, the situation they're in. Difficult time. Trials, suffering, persecution. Uh, a life that will silence the critics is uh, kind of what he's talking about. uh if we live that out, it can show that the Christian faith is valid. So, he starts off with Beloved, since you're the Beloved of God, since that be the case, since that's who you are, and then the next word is I urge you. Uh, I, I'm calling you alongside here for an obedient response. Now, that's not unlike all the rest of the epistles. You get set up as showing here's the po- position you're in now you can do it. Here's who you are and this is why you can do it. And Paul over and over does this. Uh, Romans 11 ends chapter 12, I beseech you by the mercies of God, right? Offer yourselves up as spiritual sacrifices. Oh, the word alien. I urge you as aliens you don't belong in this society. You just don't fit. You don't belong with them. You are a foreigner. <laughs> You're an outsider. Uh, The word is par oikos. Oikos is house. Par, parallel, alongside. It's like living alongside a house or living alongside families, other people that are citizens there, that that are really citizens, and they belong there. And we live alongside these people, but we're like foreigners from another land and not citizens, even though we have citizenship here. We have dual citizenship, but another thing: we're, our true citizenship ultimately is is in heaven. So that's the idea uh, behind the the, the alien uh, in First Peter one one. Peter, an apostle Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. Verse 17, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, or as you reside alongside the people who live here and are comfortable here in this world, you are a foreigner, an outsider. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. So that's why Peter is uh, alluding to that word. Uh, I think it's a privilege as as we remember in uh, um, verse 9. He called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We've been brought into another kingdom. We were in this kingdom of darkness which people are in now if they don't believe in Christ. Took us out of that, put us into the kingdom of light. Uh, into the very kingdom of God's dear Son. It's a a privilege to be redeemed, isn't it? As he did that. What's the price of that, however? What's to shun the things of the world? Which the world loves so much. The price is that we are foreigners here. The price is, is that we have to be so different. And, of course, the big issue now it's being... Uh, talked about and has been lately but um, same-sex marriages and they're really pushing that and uh, you know we may not be able to change anything there but the thing is we still stand for what is truth and um, and what what God's truth is ultimately it's these people need to be saved <laughs> so um we're not family with those people that are living there. We just kind of live alongside the family. You're you're living near these people who are at home in a in a particular place, but you don't really belong here. I think there's a song a Christian song like that, isn't there? I don't belong here. Uh that might be a line or that's one of the titles. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's real
1: good.
0: Oh, that's going back to the seventies, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you, and in fact, a little bit further. <laughs> well, the next word is strangers. They probably took this right from this passage, right? Now, a stranger is one who just makes a brief stay. Uh, someone just passing through. <laughs> uh, a visitor who just is there visiting for a brief stay. A sojourner. A traveler. A pilgrim going through the country. A traveler who just moving around. <laughs> I don't belong in this world. I'm in this world but I'm not of the world. Right? Jesus said something like that. I'm distinct from the world. What's, uh, what's it say in Hebrews? Hebrews 13, 14. For here, right here, in this world, we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Which is really what our home is. So the people to whom Peter is writing to are scattered out there, all over the areas, different countries, and they're living amongst people of other beliefs, of other values, of other cultures, other morals, other kind of standards. Does that sound familiar to us today? All sorts of different beliefs, different standards, different values. And ours just doesn't seem to quite fit in. It seems like we are politically incorrect even more and more each week. (laughs) as different laws get passed or they talk about those things. But you know what? That's no different than where Peter was talking about here. Christians have always had to live among pagans. And I think that's the way that God has intended it to be. You would think all the Christians could get together and have their own country, right? And we'd never have any trouble at all. That's not what God had in mind. One of these days, but not here. So they are rooted in lower things and we have to rise above those things. It's, it's so simple, but it's good to be reminded sometimes of really who we are and what we're about, what God is about. And if we would think that, oh, we're aliens and strangers. That's why all these things are happening. It's quite the turmoil. You know, if you listen to the news very much, you could really get depressed. But we don't have to. We know what's going on. So he says this. It starts with our own lives. He says, abstain. What does abstain mean? Simple. Stay away from. (laughs) Um, The literal Greek means to hold yourself away. Hold yourself away from those... Fleshly lust, and when he says fleshly lust, he's not just talking about you know we, we, we sometimes we might think of sexual things, but it's talking about all sorts of sinful natural desires. It's from the nature nature of man, and um, fleshly lust. Or it's, he's saying, okay, now the conduct as far as the inside is concerned, and then he gets to the outside in, in verse twelve. It starts with the inside, so we have these. These desires are going to start on the inside, and then of course we can follow through with those, or we can, because the uh, strong, say it, a uh, craving that the things that um, used to be our nature still likes to crop up, and, and those strong cravings can uh, be there, and that, that that's the depraved flesh <laughs> that we've been to de- really delivered from. I can think of uh, chapter 2, verse 2, which deals with the opposite. Here's how we battle this. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Desire for the pure milk of the word. Lust, if if you want to use that for a a good sense. Lust, desire, in the way that we're reading in our verse, it's a negative sense. Here it would be a positive. Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow and respect the salvation so um, the battle the fleshly lust you have to think of Galatians Galatians 5.19 here's how we beat it here's how we beat the fleshly lust now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality impurity sensuality idolatry Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, all the other ones, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things when I'm here in the kingdom of God. So those are the uh, those fleshly lusts. Uh, I think if you back up a few verses, it says how we beat it. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the what? The desire, the lust, the desire of the flesh. That's how we beat it. We walk by the Spirit, or be controlled by the Spirit, or be you know totally filled, completely led by Him. Be filled with the Word of God. First Peter four two. Same thought. So as to live the rest of the time, while you're here, in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. No longer for the desires that men, mankind has, but we live for the will of God. Peter keeps saying that quite a bit. It's a practical living. And I have to wonder with who they were living around and who they were situated by, as he's been saying those kind of statements, he says, you know, that that can play a big part in us kind of taking a little bit of that in and being part of the world, even though we're really not of that. We're, we're actually holy people, but we're acting like them. And he says, here's what's... What uh, is happening to us in uh, at the end of verse 11? Abstaining from the fleshly of lust. What do they do? They wage war against the soul. The lust, the cravings, by very nature, war against the soul. Wants to do damage. It's the very nature of uh, unredeemed flesh. Unredeemed flesh wants to win against this new life that we have. So the war is on. And, um, of course, that's, that's what uh, Peter's saying here as he uses that word uh, war, waging war. Uh, and the idea here is to carry on a long campaign. It's not a battle or a little series of battles. It's a war that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. The <laughs> yeah, United States has been in some wars that have lasted a while. It carried on. You know, you think of the Vietnam War. You think, of course, it was in the Middle East. The skirmishes is there. And, you know, it seemed like it went on for years. They did. And uh, and, and in this sense here, this is this is even more so. It, it never stops until this thing's over here, <laughs> waging war. So you have to think of practicality of it. You go to Romans seven, verse twenty-three. That I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And he says, Wretched man that I am! Who will set me free from the body of this death? So, Paul has stated that you know he, he concurs with the law. It's a good thing in the inner man. But I see some other different law happening here, and it's waging war. Waging war against my... Mind, and I'm a prisoner of it. This is a wretch. Quite a, quite a battle. Makes you think of James chapter 4, verse 1. Where is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasure that wage war in your members? And then he talks about the lust and the, and the such. Here's our battle again. That's each one of the parents. Yep, we're downtown. <laughs> <laughs> Activity happens around here. Right, Audrey? <laughs> it doesn't get boring. So, lust. Battling your soul. Lust comes up with thoughts. whatever temptation it may be, and then it can draw them into your mind and all of a sudden, as James has already talked about, that will lead you into sin, as he talks about in chapter 1. That's spiritual warfare. And we must have the Holy Spirit controlling us at that time or we'll fall prey to that. Um, What Peter is doing here when he says wage war, He's taking these fleshly lusts, all these temptations and he personifies them kind of like turning them into uh, into something that you know like like a people or, or what we're battling against uh, kind of an image that he's putting forth and it's kind of like an army of rebels an army of rebels that are going for our, our very soul they want to destroy the human soul they want to enslave it and then destroy it so the term um, here implies not just antagonistic against us, but a continual warfare aggression. it's malicious, it can be evil, and it doesn't stop ah. is this a two alarmer two alarmer already Yeah,
1: it was fire truck the first time.
0: Mm. you've heard of uh, search and destroy missions (laughs) that's what the enemy is trying to do with us of course you have to think of uh, Ephesians 6 spiritual warfare there Um, you go to 1 Peter 4 2 we are to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men but for the will of God Uh, you know we've lived long enough in uh, that lust of the flesh that we don't need any of that anymore, right? In um Ephesians two three. The time already has passed for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. That's over, he says. That's done. You already pursued that course. You don't need that anymore and all the abominable idolatries and sin that's involved with it. It's time for you to abstain. Get away from it. It's the best way to do it. What does John say? Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. For the world passes away and the lust thereof. But the one who does the will of God abides forever And all that is in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. It's not a God. But it's of the world. That's where we live. So you stay away from all that. That's what Peter says. War against the soul you know what the word for soul is? suke. suke. or we get our word psyche or psychology. You already knew that, didn't you? Yeah. And that's you know, that's really the very uh, our our very being. That's who we are. That's our that's our person. Uh the living soul. Any you guys ever read uh John Bunyan's um uh, what was it? Man man soul? That uh that though that was the name of the city that it was. Um can't think of the name of that book now. Anybody remember? we all remember Pilgrim's Progress, but he had another
1: Jerusalem. Uh,
0: no. This is a uh it's a it's a fiction book.
1: Break
0: it No. Nope. Well you are right though, that's good stuff. Oh uh, well I had it. it was Can think of it now. Anyway, uh, you have this city called Mansoul. Man's soul. Okay? And it represents, of course, the soul of man. And so he pictures this city. It's surrounded by high walls all around it, right? The enemy wants to assault this city. But there's no way over the walls. So what's the way in? You can't go through the walls. You're going to have to go through the gates. And of course, I think this is the one where he said, of course, you think of the ear gate, the eye gate, or the mouth gate, <laughs> all the different gates that, that we have in, in our own, you know, our senses and uh, the different ways that uh, we can be attacked in that way. Um, I guess in in our sense, we have the gate of the flesh or the the gate of the fallen desire. And that's really what lets the enemy of Satan or the enemy, the world, in. I mean, it's the beachhead. That's the main problem. It's our flesh. So we can't blame it on Satan and we can't blame it on the world. Ultimately, it's what we've let in. So, beloved, Peter says, if you keep the gate closed, <laughs> you can't lose. Don't let it in. So that's, that's the idea of suitcase. That inner man. There's verse eleven. Only verse twelve. So he says this. Now that that's the inner part. So he starts with the inner, and that's where everything always starts. You get that, then the outward part is going to show then, which is the good part. Yeah, I mean this is what you want want to uh, show as fruit. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Excellent. Keep your behavior, that's your walk, your lifestyle, it's what you do, your daily living. Keep your behavior noble. Keep your behavior um, in in a way that is... um, in a a powerful way the, the excellence here so he's already said this before as he talked about the holiness in 14 and 15 as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours and your ignorance but like the holy one who called you be holy yourselves also in all your behavior Peter is repeating it again and he keeps doing it all the way through this epistle there's a reason for that We probably all need to be reminded. Now, if you discipline yourself on the inside, as in verse 11, that's, that's the private side, you now have the outward, or the public side, where people will see that. So if you have an inward discipline, then the outward can be shown among the Gentiles. The word for Gentile is ethnos, ethnic. Gentiles, Nations, ethnics, um, the unsaved world. That's the idea there. So the quality of our transformed life, if it's showing outwardly, can make a difference and be visible to the unsaved world. Not that that's going to convert them, but God uses that. No such thing as secret, uh, I guess you could say secret uh, disciples. (laughs) We are to be uh, showing that. So, excellent behavior. Um, Excellent behavior. Keep it. Now, it's interesting that it says the Gentiles can slander you. They can say all sorts of evil, wicked, malicious things, and that's the idea there of of the slander. Hostile. Hostile. The how how much animosity do they have on Christians? Quite a bit, as we see today. Always have been, especially if we show who we what we believe in. Very strong word, though. That, that word for evildoers—they slander you as evildoers. Very strong word. Evildoers, and Peter uses this like uh, think about three times in this epistle. And it's talking about a severe, serious punishment for somebody who would be worthy of it. They're worthy of severe punishment. That's that's what they're saying about Christians. They should be severely punished. Of course, some of them were very much so. Uh, it was it was such a word that they looked upon them as as uh, with contempt. Gentiles looked at Christians with contempt. With uh, they would abuse them, and so they would throw this at the Christians as far as being evil doers. It was commonly used. That was uh, a, a verbally uh, way of being able to um, persecute Christians. So um, Christians were hated. They were distrusted, and there were certain. Uh, stories gotten out about Christians which weren't true. He says that in which they slander you as evildoers. One of them was, they, they called them insurrectionists. And that was to be insurrectionist against the Roman Empire, for instance. Human authority. Well, when we look at Peter, he's going to talk about that. Jesus talked about that. Um, and how we're to look at the at, uh, authority as, uh, of the government. Then they called them atheists. The pagans called Christians atheists. Well, the reason is is because they didn't believe in all the other gods the Romans had. They just had one god, but they called them atheists. Um, Cannibals. They said they were cannibals in in the fact uh, because of their Lord's Supper that they would take. And word got around that they ate their babies. That's the kind of stuff that was going around. That was as late as uh, close to 200 A.D., eating the flesh of human beings. I don't think there was any truth to that whatsoever. They would have their feast and have human flesh. And then immorality. They said the Christians were immoral and they had incest uh, that they were involved with. They said they wrecked homes. They were home wreckers. Uh, Matter of fact, they uh, also believed in taking slaves and making them rebel against their masters. Uh, we know what Paul said about that. They were accused of hating men, Christians were. And uh, being disloyal to Caesar was was enough. That's the kind of things that were said about Christians. Being evildoers, I think that's some pretty good examples. Yes?
1: teaching Christian values teaching
0: them about Wow. Okay. Yeah,
1: that's
0: right. How close could we one of these days get to these things? It's not anything new though, is it? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the whole point of it all. Even though they're slandering, they're saying all sorts of bad things about Christians that are not true, You just keep on living the life that glorifies God. The good deeds, the fruit will show. You have the inward uh, thing taken care of. God blesses that. And here's what they do. They see those. They observe that. They really watch. And they'll give glory to God in the day of His visitation. I think that's pretty amazing. I think of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. All sorts of verses like that. It's talking about living the Christian life. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Peter might have heard that message before from Jesus. And so he writes something very similar. Uh, David Wells, he wrote something on this uh, and how the world has affected uh, the church in a lot of ways, and we're not being the fruit that we should. It says, The world has nudged um, him... Him out, uh, speaking of Christian, to the periphery of our secularized life, his truth is no longer welcome in our public discourse. The engine of modernity rumbles on, and he is but a speck in its path. And of course, that when you have truth, it uh, kind of gets mowed over by this postmodern world that we live in. Day of visitation, in the Old Testament, it was usually when God would, he would come to bless the people or He would come to judge them. Um, Isaiah 10, verse 3, speaks of such a visitation. Now, what will you do in the day of punishment and in the day of, in, the, in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? Here he's talking about God as using an instrument of uh, of justice on them, and it's going to be Assyria. Um, but here he's talking about uh, in the day of punishment, Christ would visit them with that kind of judgment. Uh, look in Jeremiah twenty-seven, twenty-two. They will be carried to Babylon, and they will be there until the day I visit them, declares the Lord. Then I'll bring them back and restore them to this place. They'll be there until I visit them. I will come and visit them in the sense that uh, He delivers them out of the bondage. So there is a visitation that was of judgment, and then a visitation of blessing or bringing out of, out of the bondage. When you look into the New Testament, you'll see that uh, visit, in the way that we're talking about, deals with redemption. Go to Luke chapter 1, verse 68. This is Zecharias. John the Baptist, father. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. Of course, he's speaking of, of, of Christ as he brings out uh, a prophecy of what John the Baptist was going to do. That was his his son, and then, of course, being the forerunner of Christ. Um, go to Luke 19, 44. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You didn't recognize this um, visitation of, of the Lord, Him coming here. Uh, of course, He's He's bringing salvation. He's bringing redemption. Uh, that's blessing, but they didn't recognize it. didn't want it. So it's... Uh, Here would be the sense of God visiting the unbelievers as a day of visitation as far as salvation will concerned. And an unbeliever who is then converted glorifies God in that particular visit because of the marvelous grace that is put upon him. And now he sees what that is as he opens up the heart of an unbeliever. So, we are in one sense, the Bibles. We are the Bibles that people read. We are, we have the truth that the world needs. And we are the sermons that they need to hear as we just use the Word of God. So that is what is going to bring glory to God whenever He converts those people. And they recognize that uh, these ones who are unbelievers they recognize the deeds that uh, have been done through them so that's dealing with evangelism too there isn't it i think the most effective tool that evangelism has and that we possess is the power that's in a life that is righteous that lives it out the ultimate
1: but he never says anything here about The world changes. Right. I think that glorify God in the day of visitation is that the unbelievers will glorify God if they they have to because they see who he really is. They won't want to. They won't be changed. They won't be saved. But they're going to have to give him glory because they recognize who he is.
0: What does it say in Philippians 2? Every knee will bow, yeah. every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The best thing that can happen is if they would do it now before he comes later because it's dealing with what? You to see it redemption and then you see the judgment. Do it
1: willingly with the changed heart, not under
0: exactly. Exactly. And that's the warning that. Yeah, go ahead there.
1: Oh, I'm just saying even if all angels who be
0: Yes. Oh. So, pretty powerful as Peter. He gets real practical. You know, he starts off with that, and then he starts dealing with um, how we are to live, as far as not only to the unbeliever, but uh, as far as the government is concerned, or as far as our job is concerned, as far as family, husbands, wives. Um, so, the next couple of chapters. He deals with every aspect of life. And so Peter has given us a great world of uh, promises and doctrine. And now he says, now, (laughs) here's how you do it in a world that really is not going to embrace Christ. There are going to be individuals here and there as God sees fit. And He will use us to uh, bring them to Him. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? So, Peter was trying to uh, encourage them on. I think it's pretty practical for all of us.
1: Well, that takes such wisdom, though, don't you think, in dealing with unbelievers, being a believer. I mean, you have to be led by the Spirit in what what you say and what you do. They all come a different way. They come to the same place. But... Right. That's a different. Different. Um, some of them need a firm, hard work. Others need tenderness. And you just you can't do it in your own understanding and your own strength, because you'll give it all.
0: Only in the power of the Spirit.
1: Yeah,
0: that's, right. that's the only way. Walk in the Spirit and. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this evening. And uh, thank You for Your Word that uh, brings it down right to where we're at in our own own walks and our own living and being aliens and strangers in a world that seems to be going crazy. But uh, we know that You don't promise the salvation of the world, but You do show that as we walk in Your Spirit power of your word that uh, we can make an an influence on some people and we so desire for uh, those lost that uh, that you can use us in any way to that people glorify god now rather than when it's too late for them we praise you lord thank you for this day and we again uh keep miclotion mind and whatever's happening there and we definitely uh want your Uh, loving, healing hand there. In uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.